Joyce joked that Dublin was the centre of paralysis. Nothing could be more frozen or paralysed than a city under snow. And, you know, he's constantly using the lexicon of grey and vague and shadows. It's a city which is in the shade, a dead city. So it's like the room in the hotel is like a living tomb. After the warmth of the dinner party and the echoes of the Lass of Achram, we are out on the quays following Gabriel, Greta, Bartel Darcy and Miss O'Callaghan along the river in search of a handsome cab. Once in the cab, Joyce takes us across O'Connell Bridge and they see not a white horse, but a white man, the Daniel O'Connell statue covered in snow. Gabriel and Greta are staying in the fashionable Gresham Hotel rather than facing the journey home to Monkstown. Kevin Whelan. It's typical of Gabriel that he wants to stay in the fashionable hotel, the Gresham. He doesn't stay down in the old city. He doesn't want to kind of stay overnight with the ants because that's the deeply unfashionable and mouldering part of the old city. And Gabriel, who's quintessentially middle class, wants to see him be seen. So he goes to the Gresham. The hotel scene there is almost heartbreaking because it's there really that Gabriel comes to the realisation that the sexual spark, the emotional connection that he feels with Greta, that that's extinguished and that really he's a second-hand lover, a second-hand husband and that the real emotional high point of her life has been this extraordinarily warm and rich and intense episode with Michael Fury, the young man who literally dies for love of her. Unlike 15 Usher's Island, the Gresham Hotel did not survive the Irish Civil War and while the hotel was rebuilt, little remains of the 1904 building except the wine cellar which leads under O'Connell Street, where we brought Anne Fogarty and Geraldine Meany to talk about the final scenes of sex, love and longing. I suppose the move to the Gresham is a sign of the general wealth of Gabriel and Greta as a couple, that they have the leisure to take this night off. But they're really moving to the heart of Dublin. And Joyce's stories do always tend to gravitate towards the, the middle, and the heart of the Hibernian metropolis. It's like as if he wants to really delve down into Dublin as a city, as well as delve down into his characters. The gaslighting has failed when they get back to the hotel. It has been plunged into darkness. And we have... At the beginning, a comic aspect um, to matters in that you have the sexually overexcited Gabriel who's expecting another kind of denouement um, to the evening, who's utterly misinterpreted his wife's reactions. He's picked up on a few signals, but he's misread everything completely. And it's only when they move into a totally private sphere, the hotel bedroom, that eventually Greta's revelations very haltingly come out. Gabriel leaves the party very much expecting that he's going to have sex with his wife, very much expecting that this is going to be the culmination of their evening. And really almost euphoric because they've had this evening out. His sense of himself has been disturbed somewhat by Molly Ivers. There is this sadness about the ageing ants, but he's going to now reaffirm life, reaffirm his relationship, reaffirm himself by having sex with his wife. And... It completely crumbles. He is initially incredibly angry and he does talk about anger and lust, that the expectation he has of sexual fulfilment is blocked by the memory of this previous lover. From wanting to make love to her, he ends up unable to comfort her. That death 
overcomes life, that death and mortality overcomes sexuality and life. And, you know, I think that is part of the process whereby the ghosts get the upper hand, that the shades of the past and the shade of death comes to be the most powerful force in the story. The final epiphany in the story, as Gabriel sees himself anew and alone, once again brings us to a window, this time looking out not just over Dublin and the falling snow, but over the country from west to east. Snow was general all over Ireland, falling faintly upon all the living and the dead. That final image, stretching out from the bedroom window, across the country and back again to Gabriel, standing alone, his wife asleep, his soul swooning as he listens to the falling snow, provokes and moves us. Is the ending one of despair or one of hope? Anne Fogarty, Declan Kybird and Geraldine Meany. I think on one level, if we respond to that final passage musically and rhythmically, that it does seem hopeful. The beauty of the words and the poetic rhythms that Joyce establishes there. In fact, what happens is that the story moves from prose into poetry. You can scan the lines and this is very deliberate. So you move into a kind of lyric mode, a musical mode actually at the end. There's a change in register. So on that level alone, linguistically and rhythmically, we're somewhere else. And I think that signals a change and change must be in some ways linked with some kind of stirring of something if it's not hope it's some kind of awakening Yeats once said that we only begin to live when we conceive of life as a tragedy I think what is happening in the closing paragraphs of The Dead is that Gabriel Conroy is suddenly experiencing an epiphany and understanding his own limitation and breaking out of self-enclosure generous tears we're told fill his eyes Perhaps for the first time he feels something real for another person. So much of the story has been about him being made feel central, giving the speech, being narcissistic almost. Suddenly he becomes selfless. He embraces the west of Ireland, the whole of Ireland that he had rejected earlier. But in so doing, he also embraces the dead as well as the living. What I think is happening is that he has achieved a fate in those last paragraphs which allows him not just to look at death, but to look through it. As he looks at Greta at the end, as the snow falls outside at the end, he is almost no one from being the epitome of the quite high achieving, within his own terms, very clearly defined in terms of family, class and gender. Gabriel has someone who has to reinvent himself from the start at the end of the story and he doesn't at the end look like a character who has the energy to do that the psychic energy to do that he does appear to be shattered and devastated in effect it's a kind of death which he experiences Kevin Whelan finds little hope in the ending there's a lot of emphasis in the dead on Gabriel's blushing on Gabriel's itches on the fact that he's almost uncomfortable in his own skin and again as he stands in the shadows of this room the tomb of a marriage and as he's looking out across through the window then it's almost as if he's in the darkness it's almost as if Gabriel himself now has joined the dead and that's why I think the end's negative and downbeat there's no possibility of redemption I think it's a very bleak and desolate ending for Gabriel and I think it's like the death of a marriage is what's also kind of summoned there as his wife sleeps and he looks out through the window it's the death of love and the death of the possibility of that marriage having any spark in it Anne Fogarty believes Joyce left it up to the reader to decide 
the major aspect of the ending is its ambiguity that you have all of these rival notes in it it's not a set of discords I think that we're given or dissonances at, at the end but simply that Joyce is sounding all of these different notes within a very complicated and very beautiful musical ending and it doesn't in the end sustain a totally rational reading we're in a kind of dream space or other world we've sunk into the unconscious and we're somewhere between hope and despair life and death and maybe Joyce is indicating that the decision is the readers that we have to choose as he wrote double to reawaken his people and to create a kind of future for them so they have to choose. For the rain falls on my heavy locks On the dew it wets my skin My babe lies My baby lies cold.